Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back to the King Belly Podcast. I hope everybody has their Super Bowl plans in order. I hope at least you thought about it because we finally know who's going to be in the Super Bowl. Los Angeles Rams and the New England Patriots. <sighs> I ain't even going to front. I'm, I'm tired of betting against Tom Brady. I'm tired of making myself look stupid. I'm tired of making myself sound stupid. I'm, I'm taking Brady to win. Last week, I predicted that it would be Drew Drew Brees and Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, Drew Brees lost. I'm not really looking forward to seeing the Rams play, but nonetheless, I'm not betting on I'm not betting against Tom Brady ever again. I'm starting to understand what it means to old heads or how old heads feel when we compare LeBron to Michael Jordan. Like, imagine watching somebody defy the odds year after year after year only for a young nigga to pull up on you and now tell you that this new guy is better than him and you know deep in your heart that he's not better than him weird flex i'm just tired of betting against tom brady like the shit that i just finished watching is ridiculous poor patrick mahomes ain't even get to touch the ball in overtime and he had a hell of a he had a hell of an nfl um career I mean, NFL career. He had a hell of a debut season this year. Although, yeah, it's not he's not technically a rookie because he backed up Alex Smith in his first season. Them finally putting the reins completely in Patrick Mahomes' hands showed us how much of a star Patrick Mahomes is and how much of a star Patrick Mahomes will be continuing the rest of his NFL career. So shout out to Patrick Mahomes on a hell of a rookie season. Hell of a rookie campaign, and, and and I'm quite sure that he will win the MVP after going what? I don't remember his record. I ain't even going front like I remember it. It's just unbelievable though, like year after year, to to um to see New England play shaky in the regular season, only to find their way into the AFC Championship and somehow into the Super Bowl. And I tell you what, Tom Brady's not losing two in a row. Tom Brady, Brady is not losing two Super Bowls in a row. So, for all of those betting, choose the reasonable pick. Choose the. I'm, and I'm. It's crazy. I can't even really speak right now because I'm still trying to process what I literally just finished watching the game, and I'm still trying to process what I just saw. This is a 41 year old man who somehow is back in the Super Bowl, and prior to him playing today's game. He pretty much told us by his actions on social media and by his actions in the locker room pregame. He pretty much guaranteed us that he's going to be back there. And for some for some reason, I bet against him again. For some reason, I was defying I was defying the odds. For some reason, I tried to defy the odds. I should say, and I tried to go against what I knew was right. And again, Tom Brady is back in the Super Bowl. That nigga's the goal. Today's guest on the podcast is a cousin of mine, Andre, who's a business owner out in Atlanta, Georgia, where he owns not one but two businesses with his lovely wife, Danielle. We spoke specifically today about his precious metals business and uh, his journey to owning that business and why precious metals is a good business or a good industry that we should all inter- invest in. We spoke about some of the, uh, the, the 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 bumps and bruises along the way of him now owning these two businesses. We spoke a little bit about his early life, his early 20s, I should say, where he battled depression briefly and used the experiences and used the things that he learned about himself through that, through that little rough patch 
to fuel him into becoming the entrepreneur and the family man and the father and husband that he is today. And um, he gave us a lot of general financial advice that I feel like a lot of us, us being black young folk, can learn from so that we do not make the same mistakes that the generation prior to us made. Overall, I think that this was a pretty good episode if you want to learn more about financial literacy and if you have interest on topics as far as like investment and shit like that. And um, you know the vibe, spread the word, send this episode to a friend. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore King Bentley for more updates about the podcast and other content that I'm posting on there. You can uh, subscribe to the podcast with the Apple Podcast app. As a matter of fact, subscribe wherever you listen to this shit at because I don't know where you listen to this po- to this app right now. Wherever you listen to this, subscribe. Every Monday, every Monday morning, the podcast is coming out. You know the vibe. It's the King Bentley Podcast. Here's the conversation. All right, and I'm joined live, live from Atlanta. The King Bentley Podcast is Andre Osborne. Cousin Andre. I'm glad to be here. Glad to show support. My name is Andre Osborne. I am the part owner, full-time operator of Alex Lexington Precious Metals um, Brokers down here in Atlanta. We also have another business, um, Five Star Professional Cleaners. Um, sometimes I operate, but currently I'm not. Um, we have another family member running that. My wife runs that. She runs the books for everything. We are the true essence of family owned and operated. And this is my journey, I guess. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Right. So before we get to exactly what you do with Alex Lexington and, and the cleaners, I want to start around. Let's, let's, let's take it back to around. I don't want. I don't want to date you. I don't want. I don't want to give you age. Let's take it around to your, tw- your early twenties. You were finally out of college, and uh, you decided to start pursuing a career of some sort. I want to know. Like, I was always curious. How did you get on this entrepreneurial path? How did you know for a fact that this was the lifestyle I wanted to live? Well, opposed to uh, working a regular career and taking it the conventional route. Well, let me tell you how life turns you in ways you didn't expect. Um, I'm going to give a big spiritual factor on the journey that I've been on. Um, So, you make it sound so simple. I took... Everybody says that about me. I I make everything sound simple. Life is simple to me. It's not easy. Well, I say simple. simple. You made it sound like I did it the right way. <laughs> like you left for college, went to college, got your degree, came home. Hey, what am I gonna do now? So I'm gonna open a business. I'm gonna, gonna open, open a business. business. None of that applied to me. I actually had so a family. How, so how did it go down for you? I'm, all right, so in around my sophomore year, I started to. Um, well, first of all, I left for college had aspirations of finishing four years it's school you know it's like eh, school's easy i can knock it out and be done like everything else i've applied to in life as long as i apply mm-hmm. myself this should be easy life had other plans for me um around my junior year i was starting to have a couple issues i was assessing is this really what i want to do my, my major was computer science i had a mm-hmm. i had a minor in math I'm a tech person. I'm a bit of a brain. 
I say that the difference between me and your average other tech person is I have social skills. Right. Um, which is not which is not generally common for people. Not generally common. No, no shade what to I them. know now, I would have probably stayed in the field, but I like to tell people God has a sense of humor and I ended up where I was supposed to be at the time I was supposed to be and I'll explain that at a later point in time. But from my junior year, after junior year, I said I need to take some time off. This is I was having a I was having a breakdown, mm-hmm. literally, um, was dealing with depression, and I said, "Let me come home and figure out what I'm going to do with myself." Well, so so for most people, right, I feel like a lot of people, um, a lot of people that I know at least, uh-huh. you, you reach a point in your college career where it's late junior year or early senior year, or late senior year for some people, and you start to realize that all right, I'm. I'm getting ready to graduate from this fantasy world and go back into the real world. And things start to seem a lot more real for you. And you start that's when life starts to hit you a little bit and you realize I may not be as prepared for the real world as I thought I was. So for you, what what um caused that depression or that, that uh, uncertainty? The for real you? world wasn't my concern. My assessment that made me come to part of this conclusion was I don't want to be in a cubicle for eighty hours a week. I have better so, I have better social skills. If you're gonna be if you're gonna be a programmer, I wanted to be a game programmer before it was popular. Mm-hmm. That was always my goal. That was always my dream. I'm talking about elementary school. Programming, I want to make video games. That's my thing. But after taking a programming class, which I got an A in, go figure. I, I was still looking <laughs> at my I was still looking around the class and I was like I don't want to sit in a cubicle for 80 hours a week. If you're going to be successful, that's what it takes. Well, 40, but nonetheless, 40 is a little bit too much for me to for me to want to sit in the same spot in a cubicle. Yeah. And heed you now, it's not that I wasn't good at it. Everything else was a sham. But if you told me to focus on, hey, this is your task at hand. It takes three days straight to achieve it. Uh, no sweat. I'll look up. It'll be 48 hours past and I'll be in a, a four by five space and I'll work in it and I'll knock it out. Once I mm-hmm. focus in on something, I get locked in. DNA traders. I go hard at it. But I was having a breakdown. Um, person I was dating at the time said, you know, you might be depressed. Her parents were a doctor and a nurse. And I'm like, Come on now. I'm too happy-go-lucky a person to be depressed. To be depressed, right. Um, come to find out, I had a couple things going against me. Um, it's something that happens to people in that age bracket. And also, my DNA, I was predisposed to mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, something I got from my father's side. Um, and right, so I never knew I'm not this. predisposed to mental illnesses then. Uh, not that I know of. <laughs> I mean, every... Well, let's just be honest. As a black person, you're predisposed to mental illness based on the post-traumatic stress stress of society. But right. that's another argument within itself. Right. But we're more susceptible. But we are able to generally exceed past that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even going to give an excuse for that. Right. That's a but, fact. Not not to go not to go yeah. too far off topic, but just just to piggyback on that, just to elaborate on that. When you think about slavery, 
our ancestors still had the wherewithal. They still had the inner peace to um to to come up with negro spirituals and dances and persevere the through trauma, it all. right? Despite all of the physical trauma and mental trauma that we were put through. So yeah, as a black person, you just you just build differently. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I became more aware of what my background was at a later point in time, but I didn't know I was dealing with mental illness. I started seeing a counselor. Um, and that's when I assessed, this was, you know, springtime. So school was coming to an end anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what really triggered it was I was having problems sleeping. I was insomnia. I, 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 I was an insomniac going to bed like eight o'clock in the morning, waking up at like 12 o'clock in the day. My eating habits were like off the charts. I was, I had no appetite. And for somebody like myself, anybody knows me, I eat like a monster. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't characteristic of me. Um, my parents were concerned. Um, I was trying to hold it together. It wasn't going well. Nonetheless, came home after my junior year. Um, at this point, I'm diagnosed as um, being um, manic depressive. I did a little more research and I found out that I've suffered from something called cyclothymia which essentially a lot of athletes, musicians, your general genius specialist people have. What happens mm-hmm. is they'll go in, they'll, the term cycle is you'll go to a cycle of high levels of creativity. You'll be able to focus beyond, that's why I said it's like a superpower and the curse is depression follows after. Mm. So you go into a period where you're highly creative, which is something I, I had always been. Um, and then after you crash because you exerted your body so much that the side effects include lack of focus, inability to sleep. Well, inability to sleep happens along the way. Um, you say that you're not going to eat because you're focused on what you're doing. All of these things roll into one are really just signs of depression in more ways than one. So I'm deliberately choosing to touch on this because I want people to be aware of what it is that they're dealing with, if that's what they're dealing with, and get help. I was on medication for probably about two, three years, um, and I didn't know it was a big deal till my parents found out. I did all this and my parents didn't find it, and I was trying to keep it in the wraps <laughs> because it's just... I mean, I'm a do-it-myself kind of person. Right. And I think that is something that I've always been. So all of these traits heed you, make up a good entrepreneur if you're aware that those are the traits that make up a good entrepreneur. My parents didn't really know these things. Our people, you know, they're go-getters. They get it done. Mm-hmm. So... My my parents were aware of the DNA issue, the mental illness trait, but when they found out, they kind of bugged out a bit. Knowing what I know now, if I see it in my daughter or my newborn son, I know how to deal with it better. It's just experience. Right. But and you said that those are those are traits that make up good entrepreneurs. How do those traits contribute to uh, making up a good entrepreneur? High level of focus. You you basically put blinders on. The building could be on fire, and you're looking at this project that you're doing. You're like, well, 
the building's on fire. How much time do I have to finish what I'm really doing right now? That's, so it, that, it, it, that's it how high the, 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 the level of focus will be because you're passionate about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I always said if, if I had an opportunity to um, play basketball for a living, I, I have the, the physical makeup to have played professional um, professional basketball um, knowing what I know now but you always see these athletes they are great till about 22 and then they have like a like a relapse mm-hmm. a lot of athletes deal with depression because they have a high level of focus for a period of time a number of years and then they crash and then they all of a sudden reinvent themselves and come back the same thing happens in entrepreneurship or or people don't know these are traits that come with it but this is what happens. So, so, so that's just, that cycle. Right. So just to put things in perspective, comparing entrepreneurship to, to a, let's say, a, a promising athlete, right? Yes. When you start, your, let's, let's say you're around 18 for a promising yeah. athlete, that's the equivalent of you being early early career for entrepreneur. Well, you just so off, you know, you 18 a, is when, so sorry, so sorry to cut you, but let's just be aware. 18 is when you see them surface. They've been doing this. Most of these guys have been doing this since eight or nine. When we all start figuring out what we like, what we don't like. They've been working toward this payday from eight or nine years old. Right. So you're seeing 10 years of hard work surface when they get that signing day at 18, 19. So let's not discredit that. This is true. That's, that, 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 that is a good point. That is a good point. And I, and I feel like it makes sense because in like going back to um, comparing entrepreneurship to being a, um, a promising athlete it makes sense because mm-hmm. it's like when you initially enter the league or when you initially enter your entrepreneurship you start off strong you come up with a lot of good ideas you start executing things things are working for you and then four or five years down the road you reach a point where it's like you don't even know where to, you don't even know how to go up from here you've done so much you've accomplished so much people are excited about what you've done people are excited about your play on the court people are excited by the innovation that you've yep. created for them to make your expectations easier. have gone even higher than exactly. you could even imagine and now even you when you know, know what you're signing up for right and now you don't even know how to how to how to how to take that next step and this is where you see everybody either fizzle out that's that rookie contract or go higher in their career and a lot of times your success is based on mentorship or your coach being leadership and and your role so that's why they say oh everybody hits that rookie wall Mm -hmm. so i'm going to bring it back to entrepreneurship you're going out on a journey the journey is i want to start this business i have an opportunity whatever it may be you're focused on it people can tell you this is the the worst idea possible you figure out how to get it done you may or may not get it done, but you pour everything you have into it like there's no tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, let's say it starts. A couple things can go, go, go. And then all of a sudden you hear everybody say that I think it's about that seven year point is where most people are going to make it or break it. If you make it seven years, you are chances are going to be a successful business. The likelihood of failure is more than 50 percent. Let me go back to as a rising star in the league, you get that rookie contract. So 
8 plus 5, you're 23 years old. Generally around the time most people get out of college. That's that rookie contract ending. If you had good leadership, good mentorship, one or two things are going to happen. You're going to get an extension. You're going to blossom into a veteran. And or you're going to fizzle out and you get you get bounced around a little mm -hmm. bit. And then three years later, you know, you made you made a couple million, but you have to figure out what your new career right. is going to be. Hopefully you save so, the money that you made. Hopefully you save the money that you made. So liken that back to the entrepreneurship journey. They say the average mark is seven years. Likelihood of failure is over 50%. Not a good ratio that you really want to be working with. But you've beat, you are in 1% and your likelihood of success is extremely low. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Even the with odds the talent. Stacked against, exactly, the odds are still stacked against you. Exactly. So I liken that to the journey I was on. Entrepreneurship. I didn't even know I was going to be in it. In, I'm sorry. In, I didn't know I was going to be an entrepreneur. I had a breakdown. I have these traits. I'm trying to find my way. Did a bunch of different jobs. I work. I, I work for family. I work for my parents. Um, I through a friend of a friend um, ended up interning as a graphic designer. Read everything I could. Got software. Got a laptop, borrowed a laptop, picked up the skill set of graphic design. Mm, their business didn't exactly work, but I picked up the skill set. Right. All of those things transpired. Um, add that to the tool belt of skills I have. Um, you know, you have the ability to, you know, desire to be passionate about what you do. Um, work long hours. Add that to the tool belt. All of these things are things that I was going to need long term. I think anybody's going to need long term, but particularly in entrepreneurship because there generally are no training wheels in entrepreneurship. Um, so, pick so would you say a, a good way to prepare for entrepreneurship is by doing like these, these different types of jobs and, yeah. and just getting your feet wet in different industries just to uh, prepare yourself to get to a point in life where I can now work long hours. I can now. Um, be satisfied working menial jobs to see to it that my business succeeds and things of that nature. Yeah, the number one thing that's frowned upon in society. If you if you say I I have work experience in four different jobs in five years, people look at you as inconsistent as inconsistent right. and um, you a can't poor maintain investment. a job. You can't hold a job. You can't hold a job. You're probably a bad employer because you keep getting fired. Exactly. In actuality, all you really want to do is accumulate the knowledge and the skills to take you to the next uh, step, couple years down the road. Exactly. Now, I went from the, I never stopped landscaping in, throughout this entire period because that was my consistent um, money. Um, I was helping my mother. My mother had an in-home daycare. Um, mm -hmm. That's something that I didn't really stop doing till well into being married. Um, I did the graphic design. Then I, I got to do a friend of a friend. I was I got a job uh, working in a call center. Something um, and we did medical equipment 
um, respirators, um, beds, etc., etc. But I picked up the skill set of customer service, troubleshooting, and um, you know, answering phones all day. Right. Cool. Now I. I, I thought it was a raw deal when I got fired, but it's a skill set I would later fall back on and I answer my own business every day doing this, you know, the whole skill set that here we are, you know, here I never thought I was going to need. So life, life is funny like that. Uh, years life is funny like that. Right. The whole time now I'm in my mid twenties. Everybody else is finishing college. Master's programs, they're starting their careers, they're, they're beginners in whatever their field is. And I'm looking at my peers and I'm like, man, I haven't even finished my degree. So <laughs> we're moving along. We're moving along. Did, did, that, did, um, that, did that make you feel any way being that you saw everybody that you went to college with finished? Oh, man. Of course. Well, up? on one end, I was like, it's something I don't really need. But on the other end, it's like, as an alpha personality, I feel it's something that I failed at. Because mm. failure is something I hate. But failure and is it's necessary. not like, uh, when you say, so when I say failure, I did not complete it. You went through all that school to do what? You went through junior elementary school, junior high, high school to do what? Mm-hmm. If you had something that was requiring you to not go to college, sure. I didn't go to a trade school. For somebody that everything came not necessarily easy to, but I could apply my mind to and complete, that was always daunting and always over my head. But this is why I say there's that there's that other factor um, that's going on in the background where it's a spiritual journey. And I would sit down and say, um, God, you know, why me? Why can't I just pull it together and just get this done? Um, and this all, you know, I'm going to keep narrating this on two sides, the bigger picture that's going on in the background. So I then, I did the call center. I got fired from that job. Um, I think they were cleaning house, but things that you realize after the fact. Um, then... I worked construction for a while. You're your own boss. You do a couple of different things. And, you know, I was doing punch out work. Had to learn a lot of different skill sets. A lot of my hands on skills came into play. Mm-hmm. But I was doing construction for a number of years. So I was doing construction and not really feeling it. I'm not sure if the construction or the call center. Well, those were like my last two jobs. Those are basically like the last two jobs that I did. But nonetheless, um, I was going to work one day at the call center and I was hit. I was in a, in a car accident, um, got rear-ended, and that put me out of commission for like a day or two. And I got back and come to find out I was let go which eh, I wasn't at that point in life. It's like it happens. Eh, right. 
I wasn't Things too ecstatic happen. about you it. You just have to be able to, to adjust, right? E- exactly. I wasn't too ecstatic about the job. It was a call center job. Um, what I didn't realize is in the grand scheme of things, the corporate setup was not really my thing. What about the corporate setup um, wasn't for you? What about that setup rubbed you the wrong way or made you uncomfortable? Now, this is the understanding I came to after being an entrepreneur for a couple of years. But the reality is, I think big picture. But in a corporation, nobody cares about your opinion. It sounds nice. Yeah. Are you talking to the VP of the company? No. So nobody cares. Are you talking to the CEO of the company? No. Nobody cares. We need you to do a task, and we need you to do it efficiently and effectively. With no complaints. With Not even with no complaints. Without causing any liability issues. So that's what's important when you're doing a task. You are a cog in the big machine. So employees are necessary. Somebody has to work together. But my brain wasn't wasn't working well with this over the years of of what I'm coming to realize. I'd be better off as a contract worker because at that point, you're still the captain of your own ship in certain respects. Right. And that's that's a similar position that I'm in now where it's like, you give me a you give me a couple x amount of months to work with you, then I know I know for a fact at the end of that x amount of months I wasn't going to be interested in this job in the first place. So me even taking a contract position is probably what's best. Period. And you'll realize that's what's going to work for you. As your situation gets more serious, or you get to be either more proficient at your profession, or um you have a better realization of what it is that you want to do or how you want to pivot within the career that you're in, you'll get more serious. That's just, I'm sorry, that should be what happens um, as you go through the process of, you know, working for a company or doing work for someone. But Mm -hmm. um, so I came to a point, this is how it happened. I was sleeping on my cousin's couch um, these are all true stories. If I'm lying, I'm flying. <laughs> I was sleep sitting on my cousin's couch, um, living at my cousin's house. Um, we had taken a whack at Forex trading, which is, um, currency, currency trading. trading. It's funny. Know. It's funny you say that because not everybody knows what Forex trading is now over the past uh, month. Open now over the past month, a lot of people, a lot of people have been posting. I've seen a lot of people posting forex trading on it, like their IG story, telling people to hit them up if they want to get into forex trading. But my theory has always been, anytime the majority of people get onto something, it's already done. Like it's already like it's already forex done. trading has been around since the dawn of time. Yeah, but it's, it's, yeah, it's regular, right? It does. I mean, trend. everything like, like everything else in, in life is exactly like everything in life. It, it it trends. It trends. So. I took a whack at Forex trading. We knew somebody that was doing it. Um, we thought they were being successful at it. And we thought, you know, we can do this. Mm-hmm. Why not give it a try? Um, self-educated. We got pretty okay at it. I mean, we made a, We didn't have any money to really get good at it. Right. But the point of entry was low. Um, our pain thresholds being young and ignorant were high. Right. So let's give it a try. 
Um, I was still doing landscaping at the time. Um, and by night, by evening and night, we planned our trade, plan your trade and trade your plan. Something I never got away from. Um, and we made a couple of dollars, just not enough to live off. <laughs> we, we, we were trying to live off something that other people would do on the side. And that's what youth, youth and, you know, ignorance. exuberance, you know, ig- ignorance lets you do, which is mm-hmm. good in certain respects, but it just wasn't enough. Um, came to a turning point. Um, Super Bowl where the Cardinals were playing Pittsburgh and um, Mr. Dawkins, my father-in-law now, um, said, hey, he'd been in the precious metals industry for since the 70s, mm-hmm. 40 plus years, 30, well, 30 years at the time. He's been in the precious metals industry for a long period of time. He's like, man, I want to retire, come to Atlanta um, and open up a shop doing what I do. I know Jack Squat, by the way. About precious metals, right? About precious metals. Never, I don't wear jewelry. Never worn jewelry. Never bought a diamond ring. Never bought anything. No Jack Squat. I said, hmm, that sounds interesting. It's along the lines of what I'm doing right now. Because to <laughs> me, I heard precious metals. I thought, commodities trading. Right. Because I'm in Forex. That's just something else that's in the wheelhouse of what I'm doing right now. But it's a world away. It's like, but it's still the house next door in a sense. So I say, okay, this is like the February. Um, Later on that July, my cousin gets married. And he's saying, listen, this isn't working. I, I need some real income. Real money, right. I need some real money. I have a family now. I'm going to move to Bermuda. I say, okay. The band's breaking up. It's what it is. We, I was bunking on his couch. It was him and my homeboy, Jay. And we call it the camp. So it, it, think of it like that bachelor life. And it's all coming to an end. Everybody's going their separate ways. So my cousin gets married. I literally go to New York. Oh, heed you. That... The Super Bowl was that February. My wife and I started dating that February, right after the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. All of this comes to a head around that July, um, that August. I come to New York for my cousin's um, wedding. You were there. Uh, she gets married. Three days later, oh, I'm wow, walking down. Was, wow, wow, damn. I forgot that she got married in, in February and that was that year. Yeah, so that was 2009. Right. 10 years ago. Sure. Walking, you know, so coming August will be 10 years. We'll be married. Uh, she'll be married 10 years also. And so will my cousin. Um, That's right. Because I remember when, I remember at that wedding, not to go on a tangent again. I remember at that wedding yeah. when you told me you was getting married. And Auntie Sarah was just like, he's lying. He's delusional. He's not really getting married. Well, no. So what happened was <laughs> we've been dating for six months. Right. People were asking who this was. I said, it kind of. Somebody said at his wedding, that's my fiance. I never thought about it like that. I thought we were just dating. But to me, it's I was serious about it. Mm. So marriages was happening next. 
how serious I thought about it. Not very. <laughs> the thought crossed your mind, though. But, yes, we had loose conversation. And when I say loose, as loose as you could talk about, man, I like that car. <laughs> that's a nice car. Oh, snap. But that's the type of person mm-hmm. I am. When, when I commit to it, I'm in it. All traits that help being an entrepreneur. So I keep on pointing out these different things that people don't pay attention to that they have or right. don't have. When I do, when I give my word, I'm a man of my word. Rain, sleet, or hail. If I said I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So we're walking um, in Soho, doing a little shopping. Um, just visited my grandmother. My grandmother likes her. You know, we're just cruising, shopping around. Broke. Right. Dead broke. I just want to let you know that, by the way. Came up on a buddy pass. I don't have, I I think I have $40, $50 in my bank account. Um, And I don't think I've told all this story like this, but um, whenever I come to New York, my grandmothers have always given me money. (laughs) I'm like the prodigal son returned. So, Ma has given us a couple dollars. We're doing a little shopping, getting a couple things, t-shirts, whatever. These are things you do when you're 25, you know, no money. Walking down, I say, hey, being the guy I am, I said, I want to take you to the South Street Seaport. Nice little atmosphere. We can sit down, um, grab some, you know, a little snack to eat. We're on foot. It's blazing hot. Cool. Ask a cop, hey, how do I get to the seaport? I have an idea where it is. Or how do we get there? He says, he he looks down. He says, go down like three or four blocks. Make a left at the courthouse. Just like that. And you're going to walk down two blocks and you're at the seaport. I say, cool. I haven't been since I was a kid. Heed you now. Till this day, I have yet to make it to that seaport. We we get to the courthouse. I look at the courthouse. I look at her. I say, let's get married. She says, <laughs> you're joking. Yo, what? I say, watch me. We walk inside the courthouse. These are the exact mm-hmm. words. So, I, and the reason why I'm right. taking the time to put this in the, into play is because it changed the course of my life. Before I left for the trip, I told her father, hey, I asked him, how serious are you about opening this location here in Atlanta? He said, when I get back off this trip to Dallas, where he had a um, a part mm-hmm. uh, a part ownership and a stake of a business of the same platform that he had in Dallas, I'm coming back to Atlanta and I'm starting to do it. I said, OK, when I when I said, let's get married, ignorant me didn't think about it at all. And this is why I say divine intervention is a hell of a thing. The only thing I had to my name was a house. I literally prayed when I was 25, no, 23 or 24, sleeping on my cousin's couch before all this transpired. God, there are a couple of things I want to achieve. I would like a house by 25. I'd like to be married and I want to be a millionaire by Mm -hmm. 30. You still got this journal is what you're saying. I have this written. I have this documented in the journal. I still have this journal. 
I had this documented. So write down your dreams, goals, and aspirations. Write it down, and no matter how ugly it gets, you write down the process, video log it, however you want to do it. But because you will look right. back and reflect and see, have I achieved this? Have I not? Have I worked toward it? What have I done with myself? But I wrote this down, and I was on my cousin's couch early May that same year, 2009. Mm -hmm. And my parents call me up and say, hey, do you want a house? I'm half asleep. It's like 10 o'clock in the day because we've been up trading all night. I'm half asleep. Right, you you just, want a house? You're off of the house. So yeah. Why would I turn that down? Right. Not thinking about the prayer, not thinking about all the things right. I, I, I talked to God about. Uh, do you want a house? Who, who turns down a house? I say, sure. So a couple of days later, I meet him up sight unseen. Hey, this is the paperwork. I signed the paperwork. I get the house. I haven't seen the house yet. I don't even go. See, I don't even get the key. I don't even go see the house. I go back and and I say, yo, listen, I got a trade tonight, so I'll come see the house another day. Those are my words to my parents. I I have to I have to be prepared for right. tonight because we're going to be trading on the Asian market, and I need to be where I need to be. Because this is how I'm going to make money. So. I've been doing that. I have a home. That's the only thing I have to my name. Fast forward back to. South Street Seaport. I say. Well. I have a house. Worst case scenario. I, I got some place to rest my head. And I can do landscaping. Which is what I've been doing. And. Supporting us. Living at. Our parents' homes at the moment. The rest <laughs> is history. We get out the courthouse. She says, Call my parents. I, I call her parents. I tell them. I didn't actually tell my parents till like a week later, but that's neither here nor there. That was a big riff within itself. But I come back um, and I say, Well, about that business. And that was. Then things came together. So we literally opened up the location, which is which was Atlanta Gold and Silver at the corner of West Peachtree and 7th in Midtown Atlanta, 887 West Peachtree Street. Um, May. Of 2010, we had our first customer a couple of days after that. We still have the check on the wall. <laughs> so so me get some straight. This is this is after you lost about two or three jobs. You went to New York to, to our cousin's wedding. You saw her get married, impulsively got married yourself, and then you went or entered into a business. Days later, entered into a business with your father. My wedding anniversary is August. I have two of them, August eleventh, two thousand and nine, and we did a reception the next year, fourth um, of July. So we did a little thing, shindig the next year after that. But yes, my wedding anniversary is August 11, 2009. We've been married. We'll be married 10 years. August 11, 2019. So entrepreneurship, my journey started married in a business with my father in law. In a brand new marriage, in a business I have no understanding of. And the only thing that really saved me 
call center experience, construction experience, our culture, which is you go get it and you don't quit. Um, I picked up, I went back, by the way, I was mm -hmm. back in school at this point, um, attending the University of Phoenix, trying to finish up my degree. Um, and this is where that whole spiritual journey comes together. Danielle and I's lives were in shambles. We had no money. Um, we had a home, which we weren't moved into yet. We were getting renovated for the next six months. So we lived at her parents' house. Um, she went back to school. We, we had started dating, saying that both of our lives, like I said, were in shambles. We were having a hard time finding, just getting life together. Um, we basically graduated high school in the, in, in the same class. So it took us 10 years, both of us, 10 years to get our degrees. Um, we were at the same point in life at the same time. We needed each other. And the skill sets that we had picked up along the way prepared us for the journey that we are currently still on and enduring. Um, so Atlanta Gold and Silver opens May 2010. Um, the specifics of that, I'll get into a later point in time. About our third year in, another true story, act of God. We get a phone call from somebody who says that they want to do an interview on the precious metals industry. No, this is two years in because the gold, the gold rush happened in 2012, started in 2012. The housing crisis, by the way, remember, happened in 2008. 2008 right. So another reason why we're having a hard time finding jobs um, with good skill sets is nobody's hiring. She was in the mortgage industry previously um, working for a family member. So we've always worked with family members in some way, shape or form. But all of our skill sets combined have brought us to this point. I guess what I went to school for when I went back to the University of Phoenix. Communication, some some real basic. A degree in business with a with a minor in um um I believe it's technology or something. No clue I was going to be down this road. But I was keeping a journal. I had my goals written down. I was gradually working toward it in some way, shape, or form. And I committed to what I was going to do. I finally finished my degree. Um, lots of night school. Um, Danielle, the same thing. She'd leave the office in the middle of the day, go to school, come home. We had, we had one car. It was a borrowed um, 98 S90 Volvo. Um, it was a tank. Um, it had issues, but we went through our marriage, you know, issues early in the game and we were running a business. Um, we, my father-in-law had never been to Atlanta. It was a whole nother animal. Unlike we'd ever, he'd ever experienced in all his 30 years. Um, all of our skill sets came together to really make what we called the four horsemen, um, <laughs> affectionately. Um, because he had the experience. I was your go-getter. I had a number of different skill sets that helped me to be able to pretty much tackle anything. Um, I was, I did all of our graphic design. Hint, hint. <laughs> I designed our logo. I'm, 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 I'm dead serious. Right. So, so our, at this point, you're just using all of, all of the skills that you accumulated over the time, over time. You've used them 
to now get your own precious metals business up and running. Correct. Everything. See, and I, and I think and I think that's important. That's important to highlight because that's that's that shows the importance of, especially in your early twenties, if you want to pursue a life, a life, an entrepreneurial lifestyle. That shows the importance of developing the necessary skills along the way, even though you may be working odd jobs that you might not see the return right away. Be diligent at everything you do. Act like you own the business. Own it. Be 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 the best you can be at everything you do, even though you know you hate it. I ain't even gonna lie. Like that's that's kind of what I ain't mean to cut you off, but that's kind of where I'm at in life right now. Because it's like, yo, like you just, you just said it word for word. Even though you know you hate it, you're working a job. You know you hate it. You know you don't want to be here. But me being 22 and young, you feel like you should have it right away. You feel like you should have it right now. Yeah. Not realizing a, that in the long. In, I have a VP executive ownership mentality. Mm-hmm. But no one's gonna give you that decision making power. Right. So so how do you well, now as a as a young person, how do you now harness that like for if it's, if you're somebody who has like like you just said a VP executive mentality, how do you harness that and, and, and fuel that into you just being humble and learning instead of you trying to take over the business right away? How do, how does one control that? Well, first of all, I wasn't humble. All right, I'm sorry. I was humble from the perspective that I wanted to learn it all. Mm-hmm. My problem was the leadership that I had was what I needed, but what I hated. Mm, leadership from who exactly? From your managers or, or, or my, my father-in-law. So the team of us um, were my father-in-law, Danielle, myself, and within like a year, we brought in his cousin who passed last May. But he had 20 years of work experience with McKee Foods. He was the head of their transportation. So we had an, a, a high-level executive type. I had everything that I needed to be the person who I'm going to be. Mm. It's, like I had my, it's like I had my Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> I'm serious because it's like every, any and everything that I hit in, as a bump in the road there's nothing that he couldn't tell right. me. Now, I had the the CEO that you that that you hate, but he's the boss. You hate your boss, but your boss has all the information. Mm-hmm. I have my Obi-Wan Kenobi who knows every possible scenario, cares about you, but he's going to tell you, "Man, you're full of Right. Crap, because you don't know Jack Squat and you don't own anything. But you act like you know Jack Squat. But you act like you know everything. And all I have is ambition <laughs> and sweat equity, right. which means Jack Squat in, the grand scheme in certain situations. Uh-huh. Now, long term, yes. That's why we pull and prod each other in every direction. We've been to war. I've never walked out of a job. Till I walked out of the job, me, me and my father-in-law literally got into an argument and he said something and I said something and, and I said I quit. At that point, I thought my marriage was done mm. because I've been married for, shoot, less than a year. A year. I've been married for a year. We have no money. I thought my father-in-law, um, well, 
was wrong for what he said. I didn't agree with him. My wife was at the table in the middle of this. And I and and I literally walked out thinking to myself, my marriage is done. I have no job. My marriage is done. And I, and I, and I, I got a phone call about an hour later. This is how that um, mentorship and 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 I reference back to the sporting your coach can make a make or break the difference between you achieving the next level of success in your career, which is why mentors are crucial and why I do my best to educate as many people as I can who are willing right. to learn. But he called me up an hour later because I was I was literally at the basketball court shooting around thinking about how am I going <laughs> to feed my wife? How am I going to pay these bills? Here, right? Hey, I have to give back the car that, that I'm borrowing now. We don't even have our own car. We're living on two hundred dollars a week. All because I wanted to own a business. And he, no, all because I disagree with the boss, and he says something to me, and 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 he said to me, "Well, then leave." And I said, "Okay, I'm done." Now heed you. I'm an alpha personality. This is what a humility can make or break you. He calls his his Carlton calls me up and he says, "Okay, I like how you had this long lunch break, <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna need you to come back." So I drive back to the shop. I come in the office. We sit down and hash it out. And uh, I'm not gonna say we never had any other mm. fights after that. That's for another day. But a couple things happened at that point. My confidence after having a conversation with my wife extensively about that multiple times um, further on um, my confidence was through the roof um, I knew she loved me the loyalty was there because that's what that's all men really care about loyalty I mean that's one of the things that just make you or break you so I knew she loved me I knew she was dedicated to us and she wasn't going to choose her father over me because he controls all the money. And that was a turning point in the level of dedication that I had um, to mm -hmm. becoming a success. So it wasn't that um, I wasn't dedicated to the cause. But at that point, I never questioned or had to worry about that. So that was like, if you, you know, it's like one of those things. It's like if you have a, a dangerous job, but you know your family's taken care of, you go about it with a a a a, a level of dedication and focus that you wouldn't have if you if you had to worry about right. your family while you're doing your job. So. That's something that transpired at that point in time. Um, and the focus that I had has has taken me to this point. Right. So so now so now that we kind of have an idea or not kind of now that we have an idea of, of what it took for you to get to where you are now as um, owning two businesses. Can you explain to us what exactly you do at the precious metal, precious metal? <clears throat> business. Now, when I mean explain, I don't mean like um, like you already you already gave us the, the rundown of what you do behind the scenes. But I mean, what exactly is the precious precious metals industry? I should say, give us an explanation of what that is, so that you know we can have a better understanding of 
of what your business is. All right, you buy a pair of sneakers. You buy a pair of J's. Concord, Space Jam, J's. You, you bought it from Foot Locker at a retail price of $250. You take said J's and you stick them in a box for five years. Mm -hmm. After you take them out the box in five years, you put them up on the market. Right now, you want $500. There's a going rate. You basically invested 250 bucks. It appreciated in five years. It doubled your money because the market value of it went up. And now you're selling that same shoe for $500. You may not have to wait five years in the, mm -hmm. in the sneaker market, but that's technically speaking what we do with in the gold market. In the gold market. Right, because with the sneaker market, you could wait two weeks. You can wait two weeks. You already triple, triple the um, exactly. value of so the investment. In the precious metal space, there is a moving marker of the price of gold. Right now, the price of gold is $1,290. I eat, sleep, breathe this thing. So <laughs> I generally have to always have a, a, a running ticker in my head of, or assessment of where gold is or where silver is or any other the precious metals. But gold and silver particularly because we may or may not have inventory. We may or may not have um, a position, um, meaning material that we've purchased. So we're traders. Um, right. Anybody that has jewelry, people are familiar with the We Buy Gold stores. Um, we're very similar to those, but we're not a one-trick pony. We deal in gold, silver, platinum, and palladium in any facet. So there are a lot of industrial case uses that people are trying to unload material from. Um, there's raw material that people get from overseas that they're trying to unload. So gold, silver, platinum, and palladium, always the price of these metals are always moving. Right. Um, if you were to come to me today and say, hey, I would like to sell this gold ring. I would say, okay, the gold ring weighs this. The purity is this. Let's say it's 14 karat. Um, it's a little above 50% pure and make you an offer. Mm -hmm. I would make you an offer based on what the market rate of it, the value is, not what you spent on it in a retail perspective. The markup on jewelry is literally a thousand percent most of the time. Right. Because, you know, the jewelers have to make their money as well, too. Exactly. The jewelers are basically you're basically wearing a commodity. Mm. So that's one aspect of the industry. Um, so let, so let me get some straight. If I'm OK. If I'm, a, if I'm a person, right, and like, let's say I have, you said the price of gold is now $1,200. So let's say I have $1,200, $1,200 and change, of course. I'm, I'm rounding. Okay. I have $1,200. Why why would it be smarter for me to invest in gold as a commodity instead of me investing in the stock market, per se? Okay. Now, this is where it's really, really, where people don't understand. Well, most of the market people don't understand, but... People are familiar with gold from an investment perspective. They think they want to invest in gold and they go buy jewelry. No. You mm -hmm. invest in gold and you go buy coins. Coins have the least amount of markup, most amount of, um, I'm, I guess the form factor is, is, not guess, the form factor is the right form factor because there are hallmarks, meaning it's been minted by either a country or a company. Mm -hmm. 
So there's a so there are standards in place that are universally accepted. So let the price of gold is measured in one ounce increments. Ounce so when you hear people say the price of gold is twelve hundred dollars, it's twelve hundred dollars for one ounce of pure gold. Ah, so see, see, see. everybody now we have a a flat marker that everybody's measuring on the same thing. If you were going to let's say invest ten thousand dollars, you want to go invest ten thousand dollars to save in general. Gold is one of the vehicles by which you would save and invest. You have your 401ks, your mutual plan, your mutual funds, you have your um, stock options, your futures, all these different things. People know what the price of Apple is. They say, oh, I want to go buy such of shares of Apple. The purpose of gold and silver, it is a safe haven from all turmoil and financial um, disaster that occurs. So what I tell people is, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You save in different ways. You put some money in real estate. You put some money in precious metals. You put some money in tech companies. You put some money in different things because different things weather storms in various different right. ways. So the average person is going to put some money in their 401k. Here's the problem. The 401k is tied to the stock market. When the stock market crashes, your 401k right. crashes. I mean, I never, I never really like 401k to begin with. Off the shrimp, there, you're telling me that I have to give you money, and I can't touch that money until I'm 65. What if I have a better? What if I have better plans with that money? What if I know better investors than what you're about to put my money into? I don't know. 401k is always seem like well, a little, like a little scamish to me. Uh your generation believes that. But when you came from a generation, for example, the previous generation, which you're partially true. Partially true. But for the argument's sake of what we're doing right now, I'll just keep it simple. Everybody's saying, I need to, I work for this company and I'm going to be investing, let's say, $1,000 a month. $1,000 a month goes into your 401k. 401k has is susceptible to downturns and disaster like anything else the stock right. market does. The price of gold on the flip side when disaster occurs, that's when people run to gold. But you don't want to run to it when disaster has occurred. You want to be in it so your money is there for when disaster occurs, you increase, you accrue value. So if you look at the price of gold historically, um, when I got into the industry, gold was about $1,000 mm. an ounce, $1,100 an ounce. Um, this is... 2009 2010 right after the the, the the financial crisis I use that as a great reference point because it's fresh in everybody's mind financial crisis occurs disaster happen people are losing homes people are losing their savings all of that stuff you know what doesn't happen to gold gold is a physical tangible item that will not go anywhere can depreciate but it's always right. valuable always desirable and always a um, comparable or mutual form of league of tender or trade that that has been around since biblical times so gen, so universally accepted has a price that is universally respected and 
becomes more valuable when disaster hits. That is why gold is always something that you so should invest in. So pretty much the price of gold is a lot more stable than you invested in in, um, in, a, in, a, in a stock market. Correct. Now, since it's more stable, you're not going to get all the those high gains. People talk about, oh, if I would have invested in Google when Google was $100 a um, um, $100 a share, Google's price is through mm. the roof now. You would have got a thousand percent increase. You're not going to get a thousand percent increase necessarily in gold, but the price of gold, you wouldn't have lost any money. So that's why people say, oh, don't invest in, don't put your money in metals, put your money in the stock market. Uh, so it seems to me like gold or so, precious metals is something where you, you put your money there. Like if you just want a, a place to hold the money, you don't like. Exactly. Right. You're it not necessarily banking on it doubling, but at the same time, you know that if it's sitting in a savings account, I could easily access it and spend it. So let me just invest it in precious metals and I'll just have that sitting. It's harder for me to liquidate that and that's another good way for me to save the money. You're saying all the right things, the exact same <laughs> things that I say to customers. Yo, see, I'm about to, I'm about to just put that land in and help you out there. I'm about to just come to that land and work for you. That's what sounded like it sounded like a plan. <laughs> Well, I mean, it is an opportunity. I I do uh, have uh, needs. The only problem is, um, in times of 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 market success, being in the precious metals industry is very slow because everybody feels that they're making all this money on the stock market. So mm. there's a feast and a famine factor in there. Mm. So while the market is running hot, nobody oh. feels the need to then put money in gold. Because there are minimal gains to be made right. in and, gold, and that brings me to my to my next point. And um, what type of what type of challenges mm -hmm. and struggles do you do you oftentimes find yourself running into, being that you're in the the um the precious metals industry? One, you just named one, like you said, the stock market is flourishing. Oh, for, and nobody wants to invest in gold, being that the stock market is flourishing. What other things do you run into? Yeah, correct. Well, um, fraud. You fraud can, is always prevalent. Fraud, really? Um, Even in precious metals? Well, oh, how, how do people go about theft? stealing? Um, where else can you take twenty thousand dollars and see, shove when, it in when I pocket. think fraud, I automatically thought like somebody was trying to like. Ah, see, I, I, I had a different perspective or perception of fraud. Fake coins, fake bullion are prevalent in our industry. Theft is prevalent in our industry. It's a high risk industry, right? Because the wealth is easily accessible, one coin is one ounce of gold. 20, 20 coins come in a stack in a, in a plastic casing from the U.S. Mint. So, let's do some simple math. 1290 times 20 is $25,800. If you buy a tube of U.S. American Eagles that the U.S. government still produces every year, people, mm -hmm. a lot of people are not knowledgeable that they don't know that, the federal government never stopped producing gold. When I say producing, I mean right. minting, making coins, and selling. Because everybody thinks that, oh, gold is old and outdated. All of your banks, all of your financial institutions, hedge fund managers, everybody has some form of holding in gold. And not some random stock. 
they own the physical gold somewhere, some way, somehow. So don't let anybody fool you and think, ah, gold's a bad investment. They're saying that because they have some stashed away someplace um, that they don't physically actually see, but they have ownership in some way, shape, or form. And not some leveraged version either. But nonetheless, $25,800. That is the size of... I mean, have you if, if, if you've seen an Amazon remote or an Apple TV remote, that's how big it is. 20. Mm. 20 of them are, are about that tall. So it's a very... So a kilo brick, which is like... 40-something now, 32.15, $41,473, specific numbers, because that's how the industry is, based on what the price of gold is right now, a kilo is the size of your cell phone. Mm. People talk about, oh, I want a kilo of gold, a kilo of gold is the size of your cell phone. You could put that in your back pocket and walk down the street, and nobody ever know that you have forty thousand dollars working in your Good pocket. Good question. If, for example, if if I were to find a, a gold brick, I doubt I'd ever find. I doubt anybody would just you know have a gold brick laying around or, or misplace a gold brick. If somebody were to find a gold brick, could they just uh -huh. come to your store and, and have it melted and, and um and get it cashed out, or do they have to have some type of proof to say that they own the brick? You know, so so this is another thing that makes our industry prevalent to theft. Um, money laundering and all these other things, metal is unidentifiable. The government uses it, but they hate it. For you, the general public, it's the best tax haven available on the planet. You can move large amounts of money anywhere on the planet, unidentifiable, untraceable. Because it's just your word that says it's yours. How do you know? The brick, I mean, it's just a brick. Or it's just a coin. Those are the other specifics that I, I'm just not getting into for the argument's sake. But the precious metals industry um, is susceptible um, or targeted for money laundering. It's very prevalent in our industry because you can move large, large amounts of money very easily. And people generally want to deal in cash. I mean, we're, we don't deal in cash as much as we used to. I mean, nearly as much as we used to. Um, but that's something that comes with the territory. If, 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 if you're... I have a very strong moral compass in certain respects mm -hmm. because this is a very dishonest industry. Um, but if you're not a person that I can say is a man of your... or a person of your word then you're going to deal with a lot of people who, I mean, I could have helped people launder money. I don't know. <laughs> because, no, no, I, no, I, no I, I, I say that because you don't know where the metal comes from, right. how they acquire it. You're really just taking everybody for their word. There, there, there's no history to it. You know, like when you deal with the bank account, you can trace, oh, you transfer the money from this account to this account to this account. Somebody can show up with 20 coins and say, I want to liquidate this, and you cut them a check. And that's that. And, you, and that's that. And you each go that. your separate ways. And you each go your separate ways. My, my question is this, though. Once you once somebody comes to you with, with X amount of coins or or, um, or, um, or bricks, and they liquidate it at Well, you're shop. not going to see bricks or bars that 
I've, I've only seen one kilo bar in the 10 years. Well, why why are bricks and bars, um, why, why are they not as common as coins? Is it because they cost more or is it just because... Like, uh, bars are cheaper, but in previous generations, most people dealt with coins because the government is where they bought them from, ah. cheaply. Right, and that's why so you always are, see those, like, there's those gold coin commercials and stuff like that. Exactly. it all comes from the, um, the same place. And and just to bring awareness, because if you don't notice it, you probably just is just a blip blipping your memory. Whenever you're watching financial institution television shows, i.e., Fox Business, Bloomberg, um, CNBC, prime time, you'll still see coins being advertised. It's 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 the biggest secret in the room that nobody tells the other person about. Mm-hmm. Investing in precious metals. You can't exactly go out and tell people that you're doing it because, quite frankly, you're a target. If I tell you that I have 10% of my wealth and and I'm worth a million dollars and $100,000 worth of coins is somewhere in my possession, either in my estate, meaning my place of residence or my safety deposit box. You see what I'm saying? Right. So because of that, you're going to have less and less people talk about it, but it's the unspoken elephant in the room. And most cultures outside of, I want to say African-American, <laughs> invest in gold. Like, like, like we're the least invested culture that there is. But we, but and I say this yeah, all the time. Yeah, we have the highest spending power. Yeah, yeah, we spend money like no tomorrow. And the only reason why we do 401k is because most times our companies provide that. Mm. Or Roth IRAs or whatever we invest in most times. So, so, but investing in precious metals is, is not a very glamorous thing. Mm-hmm. The only time rewards hit you are when calamity strikes. So this this is something that you definitely have to be in um in for for the long run at least. From what I from, from yes. what you're saying. Well, 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 yes. I, well me personally, but, I feel like any long term investment is I'm not gonna say any, but long term investments generally are better than short term investments. So. There are no, unless it's something you do on a day-to-day basis, there are no quick money schemes in life. And if anybody tells you otherwise, then... And even if you can get quick legal money, it would take years and years for you to even establish that. that, um, that, that exactly. So, so how do we, yes. I, I guess it starts with conversations like this, but how do we now educate um, our community on spending our money on each other or spending our, con- our money within the community and spending our money wisely opposed to just throwing our dollars every and anywhere? Um, it's very tough for us to come to... We're becoming more aware or the woke. People are, people are, aware, of what, of, people are aware of what real money is. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even myself, even in the industry, we're victims of... Um, just feel good we always look at oh bob i'll I'll use the term bob bob um or joe schmo (laughs) he 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 wears regular clothes he 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 drives an old vehicle his house isn't that glamorous etc etc he's not living his best life when in all actuality bob or joe schmo is financially stable, his house is paid off, he has no car note, and he has half a million dollars in the bank, and he's still got 20 years to go to retirement. That's not glamorous to us. As people of color, 
because we like to look, feel, touch, mm -hmm. talk about. So it's counterproductive to who we are as a people or who we're programmed to be. Correct, who we're programmed to be. And I'm a victim of this we myself because I've, you know, my worst financial decision of my life was a car I got about two years ago while business was good. Business took a downturn. It's it's like the albatross around my neck, and my wife told me not to do it, but I did it anyway. Emotional purchases. It wasn't an emotional purchase. It was a calculated purchase, but it was a calculated mm. purchase I shouldn't have made because I was doing it under the premonition that business you would did, consistently right. be good. And business was not consistently good. We tried another venture. That went south. The expenses were still coming in. Other expenses were incurred. We lost a team member. All of these things, basically life happened. Mm -hmm. And this is entrepreneurship. I don't have a steady check. Someone doesn't cut me a check, so I just have to right. make sure I just keep showing up for work. You got to you gotta show up each day and create it on your own. I don't... I got to create it on my own. And business has been bad. And what I tell people now is I'm still in business. My blessing is people that had more money than us a, a longer history than us are out of business. But we've been blessed um, to reinvent ourselves. We're still in business and our customers still like us and support us. Not at the level that we were making money before, but we're still in business. I've got a mountain of, of financial woes, but I don't know anybody that's achieved major success that hasn't either gone bankrupt, folded in some way, shape or form, and bounce back and to be the um, feel-good story that you generally hear on, you know, some television show or advertisement or some movie. So I'm in the valley of the of our situation after achieving early success, Hiju, which is I don't know if you want to get into that, but that was we had a high level of of success, and now we're experiencing. Um, a rebuilding process. Um, this is the journey of an entrepreneur. But I made a bad financial decision um, against better judgment because I felt like I because I felt like I wanted it. Yeah. That was really youth talking and being that whole cultural thing. Because if I was of another culture, I probably wouldn't would not have gotten that car. I would have probably gone and. Um, rented it. If if I would have gone out and spent five grand on an exotic car experience and went out and got um, a regular car, <laughs> I would be fine right now. I wouldn't be talking about this um, financial burden, right. poor decision that I made. But I call it my early midlife crisis, and if all goes well and success is what I plan on achieving um, at, a, at a higher financial level. I'll be able to go back to this, but chances are when I have the, 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 the full capability at my disposal, I probably won't do it again. Because been there, done that, and I'm going <laughs> to look like Bob. So, so it sounds like what, what, I, what I took from that was um, pretty much live a simple life. That's what I took from, from this. From, from that little exchange. Yes. But I'm going to tell you why it's hard for us as a people to want to live that simple life. 
we've been told you're not allowed here segregation exclusion all of these things that we feel that we you know of course some of us we never been here before right so you want to experience it if you're used to growing up in a five-bedroom home and both of your parents are later in their career they have a bmw a benz or let's say a luxury vehicle i'm not even gonna call names let's say your parents um, own or have owned a luxury vehicle and you've gone on the vacations and you've been to all these different exotic places the glamour of it all is not there to you I'm I, I basically have attempted to do what people at layer at, at comfortable parts of their career have attempt have done but I but but mm. but I chose to do it in my early 30s like like anybody else does, we want expensive sneakers. We ain't got. No it, I mean, I, I think for us, and I'm speaking for when I say yeah, I think for us it's more so like I if I can prove, if I can get these nice things, then I can prove to not only everybody else but to myself that I'm successful. Even though it, it's taking a lot yeah. for you to go on that vacation, or it's taking a lot for you to buy that nice car, it's taking a lot for you to buy those nice clothes. I, I think it just stems from us, you know, wanting to prove to everybody else around us that yo, listen, I got it too. And don't get me. And listen, social media doesn't make it any easier now. What do you go on social media and you see exactly? But what do the poorest people do? The poorest people are trying to achieve some. Now, in their defense, you're trying to achieve some form mm-hmm. of happiness in this lifetime because everything else is hard. The first thing you do when you know when you know when when you're a brother, because I remember walking on Jamaica Avenue, going to school, whatever, you. You want nice sneakers, right? That's how you show that you're the man. Come back to school looking right. That's how you stand out. I got, I got, I got to look right because you're judged based on your outward appearance. When, if you notice, the wealthiest people, they have the most modest outward mm-hmm. appearance because they're trying they to hide their wealth. Don't even want nobody to know they got it in plain sight. They don't, and I don't want. You know what? If I didn't have the car. Because I like cars, and and I'm mm-hmm. and I'm using the cars as the reference point. I like fast cars. That's my personality. Mm. But I didn't have to go buy one. I could have gone out for a weekend experience, knowing what I know now. But I wanted it. But I hate the attention that it draws. I don't like being identified right. as the guy that has that car. But I like the. I like the driving experience, which is a catch twenty-two. People say, "Oh man, yo, you got the car. You did it. What do you do?" <laughs> if I was a sale, if I was a salesman, then it's great. But you don't want to tell people that you're in the gold business, unless it's a conversation point that you want to have. If you see what I'm saying, do you, do you get a lot of pushback when you tell people that you're in the gold business, or do you like? Does that change your perception? Uh, most people are most people are surprised. Most people are impressed. Um, it seems like a glamorous venture. It's glamorous because it's gold. We're not jewelers, mm-hmm. which would be a whole other animal. But we're not jewelers. Um, I get a lot of respect from people when I say I'm in the precious metals industry because. Um, 
I'm young. The average person is going to be late mm-hmm. 50s, older white male. Bottom line. Um, I'm young by industry standards, period. I don't think I've generally seen anybody under 40, maybe once in this space. So I'm next generation. And I pushed my business platform as such because I feel there's a whole generation of people that are uneducated and need to have um, insight on how to save for their future. Like, who's going to tell you at 20-something, listen, if you've got $30, you can go out and buy two silver coins and put that aside. By the time you do that a couple times for the year and you're 40 years old, you'll have 40 grand sitting Mm -hmm. down in a corner someplace that you never even thought about and it's still appreciated in value. That makes sense. You see what I'm saying? That's something that if nobody tells you, You'll never know because maybe your parents didn't do it or even if they did do it, they never told you how it's done. So there's going to be a generational gap. There is a generation of people, the baby boomers are dying, like how many or retiring and and or dying, how many thousands of people per day. So there's a generational gap with investing in precious metals. Everybody knows about stocks. Stocks are glamorous. But a lot of people don't make make their money in stocks, to be honest with you, because the average person doesn't have $400 to go drop on Mm. the next hottest stock that's out there. But the average person, Joe Schmo, has... Where's where's silver? $15.50. The average person has $18 to go put down on a silver coin. But it's not glamorous. So since it's not glamorous, and there's no bling factor, and there's no brag, brag bragging factor, we think it's boring. Henceforth, being Bob is boring, <laughs> but Bob is happy. Well, Bob is happy. We gotta we gotta work to a place as a community so, where we can be Bob. So Bob, but Bob is happy having all these flashy stuff, so that we can actually invest in things that matter. I got a hashtag called Axe Dre on my um, platform, on our um, social media. Axe Dre. And I've got a bunch of things that I've put out over the years, um, but Axe Dre, how to invest. And this is something I tell brothers that come in my store. When you come in my store and you're trying to sell a chain because you bought this chain, you paid like $1,100 for it, and it's only worth like 100 bucks. And you need some quick cash and you're looking at me crazy. I said, jewelry is the worst investment. I'm sorry. I said, I, I say to them, jewelry is the worst investment you can make. Coins are the best investment you can make. But you can't wear it. But if you're going to go out and spend, the average person will go out and spend 40 bucks on a, on a dinner. $40. We're not even talking about a glamorous dinner. $40. For 40 bucks, you can get two silver coins, maybe three, depending on where you go. Three silver coins. Three silver coins a month times 12 months. 
is 36 coins a 36 coins a year times 20 years. I've been out of high school 20 years. <laughs> that's 720. That's 720 coins. If nothing happens at 720 and the price of silver stays the same, which is very unlikely, that's $11,160. Off of 40 bucks. Mm -hmm. Not glamorous. It's just straight numbers and consistency. Now, I've seen the price of silver quadruple since I've been in this industry. And, and, and this is what other factor comes in. I've seen silver go to $40 an ounce. In, so 20, in four years after the last um, financial crash. A financial crash will occur. It occurs every right. so often. There's a cycle. That's how, the, that's how this world works. There's a cycle of everything. So you've seen a crash. I've seen a crash in the early 2000s, the dot-com bubble, when they said everything on the Internet was going to go to garbage. Amazon was in the dumps. Google was non-existent. Yahoo was non-existent. All these companies are the largest companies on the planet right now by, pu by public standard. But everybody said the dot-com bubble, everything was going to pot. Before that, it was 83 or early 90s, and then there was, a, there was like an 88 and like an 83 crash. I keep mentioning these numbers, and everybody keeps saying, so, but the last crash was 2008. We're in 2019. The longer something waits to hit, the harder it hits. It's like pulling the pendulum back further. The sledgehammer is going to come back and hit you. Financially, we're going to see another downturn. If silver triples, silver's $15, doubling is 30 bucks, tripling will go to 45. So if I take that $11,160 and multiply it by three, this is for your viewers if they, you know, if you a hustler, you a hustler, you like making money. $33,480. That sound like chump change? <laughs> That's good enough. That's, hey, listen, uh, if 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 you're and, and, and this is where I turn on the the brother factor, if you a hustler, you a hustler, you like making money. And I'm talking about throwing away forty dollars, forty dollars a month, which is a cell phone bill or going out to eat mm -hmm. or something you trick off doing. Who knows what you you buy forty dollars of snacks on the Easy. grocery store every month. Easily. $33,000 sitting down in a box the size of a shoebox. Mm -hmm. It's not even like you have to like, look at it and like, keep track of it. 500 coins fit in the size of a shoebox. So, education. And silver is going to go up. It's not if, it's when. A financial calamity is going to happen. It's not if, it's when. So I brought you full circle on what I do every day. On, I went from nothing, not nothing, because I, I, right. you, you had, you had, I had a, a good enough good start. start. The fact that I had to rest my head, I didn't have to worry about. So, 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 now, now, heed you now, 
other cultures. Now, let's mm. go back to the other cultures thing because I'm talking to entrepreneurship and cultures. In other cultures, if you ever listen to Middle Eastern people, Asian people, um, when I say Asian, um, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, um, they're all going to say they came to this mm -hmm. country, they saved up, and they bought a franchise. Or they opened a business. Then that business made money for another business and they let their kid, their child get a business. So right. whether they go to they're school or don't go to school, a good start. they're going to be in a business. They're going to have a business. So, or they'll give them a home or they'll give them something, but they give them something to help them get that Mm -hmm. start or they put them through school and they have no debt so my entitlement or you know the blessing that I got was the home everything started from the home that my parents came to this country or our parents came to this country with duffel bags worked dishwasher construction, teach, you know, mm. I'm not going to say teacher because we didn't start off at that. Dishwasher, landscape, or whatever. My grandfather was a sharecropper on, on my father's side. Picked apples. Won't, eat, won't, won't, won't drink apple juice or eat apples to this, to this day. But there was something that was given to us to enable us to get a leg up. My leg up was I, I, I was given a home and it gave me the balls to go out and do a couple different things that changed the, the course of history that have brought me to this point. As an entrepreneur, I went out and took a risk because entrepreneurship is a risk. So all of these things come into play. So essentially, you, you get to the grind of, of it all as an entrepreneur. And I'm going to do something mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur that's going to help my daughter and son. Right, and do something that's going to change their lives if they so choose to. Yes. I'm not even going to say easier because people think that it's easy to do the journey. It's so much, Actually, right. it's harder, but the risk reward is so much better. I mean, I'm not saying that going to work for somebody is. is um, Beneath, somebody's got to work for somebody. Somebody, everybody has different needs. Everybody's not cut out to be an entrepreneur. It's 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 it, it's a hell of a thing. Um, so I'm gonna pivot a little. It's a hell of a thing to sit in the room, look at your bottom line, look at the rent, light, expenses coming in, and think to yourself, I have to. I might have to go get a job. <laughs> but no one's gonna hire me because. I've run a business for the last five years or 10 years, but they don't want, they don't respect you in this country if you're an entrepreneur. They respect you if you work for somebody. Your work experience is non-existent for your business. Mm. I guess that's, that's, which I is guess ironic. That's their way of which is right, ironic. ironic. I guess that's their way of controlling you. It, exactly. The system is not set up to support somebody that is self-employed. If you're self-employed, and you and you go up to a corporation and say, "Hey, I want to work for you." They're going to say, "What's your work experience?" They're like, "What have you done for the last four or five years?" 
oh, I ran my own business. Well, how'd that go? It may have been successful. It may not have made enough money. It may, it may not have been successful. You may have folded. But they're going to be like, well, we can't use that. That's not sufficient work experience. Now, if your business is a success and you, let's say, sell it, get a buyout, something to that effect, go public and you want to go do something else, oh, they'll happily bring you on to the board mm -hmm. of something else. Oh, we'll make you director of this. We'll make you, we'll put you on the board of this company, board of this company. All of those things are rewarded. But notice how the benefits vary based on the level that you're on. And a lot of that also has to do with cultural disparity, if you ask me. Bob, once again, Bob sold his company. Bob knows Dan. Dan says, hey, man, I, I, I think we can bring you in for something um, on the VP level of the company because I like your experience and how you did such and such and such and such. See the difference? I see the difference. I see it. All, all of these sound like familiar conversations? <laughs> right, they do. I mean, we see them in the TV shows. We see them, you know, when you see them on well, MSNBC. Even, well, we sorry, even have friends that, 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 that's ha that that's happened to. Exactly. Yeah. When you achieve the success, it's all great. They bring you in. They say, oh, man, we're going to, we're going to, you know, hey, will you leave your company and come work for us? Run our company? If you're successful, it's great. But most businesses fail, like the like the rate of failure, like 75%. Now, I know I said 50 early because it, it could vary, but I think it's something high, like 75%, and it varies from business to business. I think like 90% of restaurants fail or some craziness like that. But all of these things, that's how that's how the real world works. Right. That that is the harsh reality of it. So so in closing, I guess, how would you um yeah. I don't I don't want I don't want to say I don't want to ask for any general advice. I feel like there's a lot of advice given throughout this whole conversation, but um I mean, well, say act act ask what you want to ask, not necessarily lead me to where you want to because most times your first intuition is probably the better one. So ask me what you want to ask and 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 I'll give you as honest as honest right, as so, so in closing, how would you now Boy, if you could speak to your younger self, if you could speak to 22-year-old Andre, what advice would you give him to see uh -huh. to it that you either stay the course mm. or improve or, or stay the course and do something different? I don't see myself... Well, I'm not the person that says, oh, man, I liked it when I was a kid because I didn't have any problems. I didn't have any bills. I never say that. My wife says that. I hate that. <laughs> I don't. I like being under my own roof. I like turning my own key. I like making my own decisions. If I have to work from 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 five to one o'clock in the morning, go home, sleep two hours, and come back again, I like being the man, master of my own ship. I don't. I don't really like having to worry about certain things and somebody else controlling that on me. The thing that I would tell my younger self is um, just work on consistency. Be, be diligent at everything that you're doing. 
Um, there were a lot of times where I didn't put out my best my best performance. And um, some of that was beyond my own control. But I don't I don't really have regrets about things about what I've done in my past. Um, and a lot of that has to do with I see how from the spiritual factor. I talk to God, I argue with God, I say, hey, listen, why? Why has this happened to me? Why is this going this way? Give me an answer. Um, and I've seen God give me answers in more, in more ways than I've asked for. Um, so I don't have regrets. I don't really have anything to tell my younger self aside from, uh, you know, you should have tried to learn a second <laughs> language and learn to play an instrument. Those are the two I mean, well, I guess what? It's actually not too late for you to learn a second language or learn an instrument. And it's not so too actually, late. So in the grand scheme of exactly. things, it isn't really much to regret. It, 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 exactly. I, I prayed for a wife. I got the wife. I um, I got more than I asked for. Um, I prayed for a home. Mm -hmm. I still live in the home. I prayed for a business um, and you got one. Well, I prayed to become a millionaire. And in certain respects, I think... I, 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 I think I keep I see I keep using that line, but <laughs> nonetheless, I I pray to become a millionaire, and I've probably achieved it. I don't have it. I've actually lost a whole bunch of money, but I can say I probably lost my first million already. But I'm 35. Um, I'm probably top three. Um in my city as far as precious metals go outside of color barrier age or whatever top three top four in my city um i've gone a couple places um had a couple nice vacations a lot of nice experiences with 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 my wife um we have now two kids um Alex Lexington is named after my daughter and my newborn son. I named it after him before he was even born. I renamed the company back in like October. He just got here early December. Um, in spite of the journey that we've been on. And that was a very ballsy move um, before he even got here. So Lexington is, you know, his middle name. And here we are. We're not greatly successful yet, but we're in business. I'm in the fight, and I don't really have any regrets. And I don't feel like I've left anything on the table. Like, that's a big thing for me. I know when I've shortchanged myself. You know, like you play with people, you know, because I, I still play a lot of ball. You play with people. And it's one thing if it's just like, eh, this is not a game where you really want to put it all out there. But when you want to win, you put it all out there. And I don't feel like I've shortchanged myself um, on anything that I've gone after in this space. And I have huge goals to achieve. Um, I've yet to achieve. I have people that are rooting for me. So I think I've done what I was supposed to do to the best of my ability. And looking around, it's not the way I thought it was going to be. I thought I was a failure for a very long time. 
um, not knowing I was going up against a lot of things that were out of my control. But there here I am. Nonetheless. And here, yeah, here I am nonetheless. Um, at the end of the day, I have a place, I have a nice, I have a beautiful wife, beautiful kids. People use that term all the time. But, um, hey, everybody's not that fortunate. Where, where, can, um, where can the people find your, your business online and, and um, in person? Uh, AlexLexington.com. AlexLexington.com. Um, we are nationally recognized. We were featured on Good Morning America 60 Minutes um, a few years back as Atlanta Gold and Silver. And, you know, we've achieved, we, you can make orders online. If you want to give us a call and talk to me, um, hit, hit me up on social media. Alex Lexington is the, is, is the handle on Instagram and Facebook. I'm not really a Twitter person. <laughs> Never been my thing, but I guess is what, you know, it takes to operate. But Facebook, Instagram, those two platforms are things that I'm familiar with. Um, yeah, that's that's it. There, there, there are a lot more intricacies that I'll, I guess we'll talk about in a follow up um, of this journey that are, I guess, next level right. to entrepreneurship. Right. But we'll but, get but that for to now. We we'll get definitely lay a perfect foundation for that. Andre, always a pleasure. Wonderful. Glad to help. Glad to be here. Thank you.